1: I'm Patience Adamu.
0: And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution.
1: Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis.
0: And if you like what you hear, subscribe.
1: On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of
0: June 6th, including... Islamophobia rearing its ugly head in London. Scarborough getting its bridal town community hub and Trudeau committing 100 million vaccines to low-income countries with other world leaders.
1: The Red Deer residential school comes out with more devastating news. The G7 is pushing back on China. Goodbye, hopefully, to Netanyahu and plenty more. To kick off our politics segment, A religiously motivated hate crime takes the lives of four in London, Ontario. By now, I'm sure you've heard that a man named Nathaniel Veltman took the lives of a mother, father, grandmother, and ninth grader on June 6th. This monster literally ran his truck over their bodies. The religiously motivated attack is another wake-up call to Canadians who have remained committed to giving white supremacists the benefit of the doubt. I, for one, was not surprised. Not at all. I'm not sure how you feel, Curtis, but I was both relieved and devastated to later learn that one member of the family, a nine-year-old, is still alive. The youngest member of the family was last reported as still being in the hospital, recovering from non-life-threatening conditions. Close friends and family have asked that the names of the family not be shared. And although their names and their images are in every major newspaper in Canada, out of respect for the family, we are not going to share the names on today's episode. We will share that the family was working to make a meaningful contribution to Canada. And really, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Rest in peace to the innocent contributors to society who had their lives taken by Nathaniel Veltman on June 6th?
0: Um, you know, uh, when, I, when I heard the news, I was angry, I was sickened. Uh, as you pointed out, I wasn't surprised. One of the things that I tend to jump to, uh, especially, I think most people do this in times of crisis, you look to uh, your leaders mm-hmm. for what they're saying on the issue. Right. Now, where I differ from most is that I'm not actually looking for comfort, or maybe I am, I don't know, but I, I'm really looking to analyze what they're saying.
1: Yeah,
0: And, um, you know, I heard various statements from the various leaders all the way from the prime minister, you know, down to Anna Mee uh, in terms of seat count. And um, what, what was really interesting, first of all, I think I, I think it was good to see clarity from from all parties Mm -hmm. on what the issue is it was named quickly and clearly and spoken about unequivocally right there's something really important that i hope a lot of people aren't missing and i based on what i've seen on social media maybe it's not being missed but i it's important to clarify you know islamophobia uh it very much began with 9-11 but 2014, 2015 were really bad years in Canada for Islamophobia. What do I mean by that? Um, This was a time when Stephen Harper, who was the prime minister at the time, head of the Conservative Party, was trying to win his election again, his 2015 election, where he had a majority government. And One of the ways that he wanted to do that, as conservatives typically do, is divide and conquer. And one of the tools that he used was to foment anger, distrust, hatred towards the Muslim community. Uh, This was the man who wanted to implement a snitch line.
1: Yeah, I remember that.
0: A barbaric cultural snitch line, I think it was officially called. Uh, And this is also the man who spearheaded the ban. He wanted to ban niqabs from being worn at oath of citizenship ceremonies. That banning, or that attempted ban, was uh, spearheaded by Jason Kenney, the current premier of Alberta, by the way. And so... That is the environment that we've been coming out of, that the Conservative Party has been coming out of. So much so that when the Liberals, the current Liberal government, took over from the last Conservative one under Stephen Harper in 2017, they brought forth a motion. It was brought forth by uh, Liberal MP of Mississauga, Aaron Mills, Ikra Khalid. Motion 103 is what she brought forth, and it was tabled. Asking MPs to recognize the need to, quote, quell the increasing public climate of hate and fear, end quote, against Muslims and condemn, quote, all forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination, end quote. It further, just for context, it asked the Heritage Committee to examine the issues of racism and religious discrimination and to collect more data on hate crimes. Here was the vote. So I just I just kind of gave the context of where we came from, what we tried to do about it. There were 201 MPs who voted in favor, so it passed. But 91 MPs voted against it. Wild. So 86 out of the 91 who voted were conservative. Right.
1: And then the rest were block or what? The who other the two rest? were the
0: block. Of course. Yeah. And the, And guess who voted against it? Who's currently the head of the conservative party? Well, there's only one person. Aaron O'Toole. O'Toole, yeah. Aaron O'Toole. Yeah. Maxime Bernier, who almost became the leader of the conservative party, if not for Andrew Scheer. Right? And this is what speaks to why people like Aaron O'Toole are always trying to speak to the worst elements of society. Here's what Maxime Bernier had to say. Quote, is this motion a first step towards restricting our right to criticize Islam? End quote. What? Are you kidding? This is what he said back in 2017. He said, Quote, oh, okay, okay, okay. Ooh, but this okay. no, but he, he'd be Sorry. saying the same thing today. He was just arrested at a white a white supremacist rally. He'd be saying the same thing today. Patience. Oh my
1: God! This is
0: what he also said. Quote: Given the international situation and the fact that jihadi terrorism is today the most important threat to our security. No, it's not. White supremacy is. <laughs> I'm gonna say, who told him? That? I think this is a serious concern we have to take into account. That is what they think. Wow, he further commented that the motion was, quote, blasphemy and, quote, Sharia law.
1: What <laughs> I'm sorry, this is not funny, but how could can-
0: which have no concern? It, it had no connection to that motion, right? But that's he was peddling far right online yes. conspiracy theories, that's nuts, and that's what the conservative party is. So to see statements from our leaders to see statements from justin trudeau okay that makes a lot of sense he's literally been pushing for more at least dialogue on this issue i i'm not going to give him a full pass and i'm going to explain why in a moment but he's absolutely been pushing for more dialogue and has been on the side of muslim people in this country because quite frankly there are many muslim mps in this party
1: i was going to say yeah
0: same thing with Jagmeet, although he doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, Muslim MPs, he plays the role as the, des- <laughs> rightly or wrongly, he plays the role as the designated person of color for all person of color issues, no matter the race. Yeah. Uh, Anime Paul, fair to say the same thing to a, less, to a far lesser extent.
1: Yeah, I was going to say. just in terms Far lesser.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Aaron O'Toole, it's just like, yo, you literally voted against Motion 103. I've spoken, I think, on this podcast, if not to other people in public, about the fact that this man by Muslim leaders themselves has been called out for not going far enough to condemn islamophobia and i've already pointed out why he can't why he chooses not to mm-hmm. so to hear him doing it now starting to do it after this attack i i, I couldn't oblige it's fraudulent I, like,
1: it's fraudulent no
0: he's a know. massive fraud yeah. and he in particular And his party, and Doug Ford for that matter, because remember, let's jump to the provincial level now. Doug Ford, up until I think it was if not last week, two weeks ago, was about to let Canada Christian College become a full university, which would have allowed them to spout their Islamophobic rhetoric
1: Hmm.
0: with academic credentials to boot. Not to mention they were very anti-gay as well. Now, he decided that because of the times, I guess, it just couldn't fly. So he didn't give them the accreditation. But he was about to, fam. Right. And his party courts that demographic. Absolutely. So to hear him also speaking about, oh, Islamophobia, bad, we will do all you can. You haven't done that to date. You don't even know what the logical next step is. So, I think it's really important that we, as many people have done, right? I'm even taking cues from Leonat Jelani, who is a lawyer, Londoner, and visible Muslim woman and human rights advocate. Mm-hmm. I'm also taking cues from the outgoing police services board chief of London, Javid Sukhara, who are saying enough is fucking enough. And you know, I, I read their columns, and it, it just it reminded me of last year when we were saying the exact same things. And as I'm speaking right now, patients, I'm actually thinking of what I think I said to you at one point, which is, I think that in this time, we're going to see that every race, every culture is going to be fucked by white supremacy. And we're all going to turn on them at once. This is what's happening. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I've also thought along those lines before, which is kind of the idea that when we have an aligning goal or a central purpose, that we will bind together and work together to take down white supremacy. And I don't know why, but I'm not sure that, that that works in Canada. And let me tell you a little bit about why Mm -hmm. I feel Canada is so hierarchical that the folks who are closer to white supremacy will always turn their backs on those of us who are further from it. Mm -hmm. So if we think about what happened in London, you think about how did you how did did Nathaniel Veltman know that the family was Muslim?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh,
1: mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So they, you know, they they, they wear hijabs. They probably were wearing some kind of traditional or or Islamic kind of clothing. And what what about those folks who are Muslim but don't don't look Muslim? Right. You know what I mean? Right. How 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 are they feeling or reacting to what has happened? And do they do they share in that trauma? I don't know. I I don't know. I, I think about that a lot. I think about what about the minorities who are hiding in plain sight? Are they are they as furious about what has just
0: happened? So I completely hear your point. I think I think that it's incidences like these that pull those people out of the woodwork, just like it was very apparent that it happened within the black community last year. Yeah. I, now I don't now the only thing my only caveat there is I don't know what things are actually like in other cultures. There could be some other barriers that make it harder than I just described. But mm-hmm. I think fundamentally, that's always going to happen. Even the people that—not all of them, but many people who may have been trying to play the white game, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even they—they're—they're they're sick of it. And right. when there's an opportunity to speak out of it, speak out against it, they will. Right. And I, as I said, I think this is one of those opportunities. Yeah, but to your point right. about you know how something like this was able to happen in London. I mean, going back to, to Lena Jelani, the lawyer from London, Mm -hmm. I mean, she's one of the folks who said, you know, was she heartbroken? Yes. Was she shocked? No. Right. She said, London is my home, but hate racism and Islamophobia have a deep history here. The KKK established a presence in 1872 in London, sowing their hate within the fabric of the city. Fast forward to 2017, when an anti-Islam protest was initiated in the city by the Patriots of Canada against the Islamization of the West. What? Roughly 40 members and supporters attended.
1: Oh, 40? Okay, at least. like Because if you told me 400, I would be like... But
0: London's, L- London has truly been a hotbed for right-wing extremism. Absolutely. And particularly Islamophobia, for, for, for a long time. Right. Right? You know, the, the Islamophobia, anti Black racism, anti Indigenous racism, homophobia, all, all of these things. Right. They're all allowed to fester when we don't collectively say enough. And that has to start. I mean, look, it started within the Black community. La- it has to start within every community, I guess. And so we're eventually going to get to a point where all of us, as BIPOC or marginalized people, we're just going to have critical mass. What that leads to, I hope, is what that leads to is the Canada that all of us want.
1: Yeah. Because
0: right now, this Canada ain't it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, not to bring it back to, like, the upcoming election, hmm. but, you know, if if this can stay fresh in people's minds. It must. Long enough, I think we can get some great representation. Uh, well. And some people who really believe in it.
0: Well, uh, here's, here's what I can say to you, patients. because as of Saturday morning, the Afro-Canadian Political Literacy Foundation is an entity in Canada.
1: Come on!
0: So, you know, one of the things that we're going to be discussing is what sort of topics we should be focusing on for the election in order to advocate and push our different levels of government.
1: In four weeks, the typical new
0: user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Anime Paul lost one of her MPs this week.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: And so for those who uh, aren't aware, former Green MP, now Liberal, Jenica Atwin of New Brunswick, uh, she crossed the floor to the Liberal Party Mm. Uh, I, I want to. I mean, this goes. It's not. It, it really shouldn't be a surprise uh, because I mean, we talked even last week about the fact that the the Greens have been trying to mimic the Liberals, so it's <laughs> it's a very easy transition. And uh, Miss Atwin pointed out that her her underlying reasonings were that she was unhappy with Enemy Paul's response to the Israeli Palestine conflict, as well as the fact that. Basically, all Green, literally every single Green MP, including Elizabeth May, was being attacked by, I believe, the chief of staff of enemy Paul, who is uh, Israeli, literally saying, you know, we will defeat you in the next election. That's your own. Those are your own MPs. Oh, what, wow. What? So um, interesting things happening in the Green Party. And I guess to a lesser extent, the Liberal Party as well. Thoughts on that?
1: I don't know I, like so it's it's great to have all of these left leaning parties and I'm sorry I'm, I'm thinking about so many things right now I'm thinking about how rare it has been in recent years for people to actually cross the floor and be open about why they crossed rather than going independent, right How many people have actually done that while they have a seat?
0: Um okay, so let's say since 2015 right. I'm forgetting her name, but she is the MP currently for, I I think it's Richmond Hill. Mm. So she was a liberal first, and she crossed the floor to the conservatives. At the time, her thinking was that she just didn't like the direction the liberals were going. She's clearly a bit, I mean, obviously, she went to the conservative party. She was a bit more conservative. She was in the military herself, right? So Um, kind of understandable. Anyway, Andrew Scheer, when he was leader, made her the deputy leader. Uh, when Andrew Shearer was no longer leader, she no longer had that role, and who knows where she's going to be when the next election comes. Um, There are others I need to think.
1: I am not as deep into kind of current affairs politics as you are, but I can only remember in the last five, six years, folks going independent. Like, so being really vocal about removing themselves from the party, but going independent, people like... um, Selena people like Jody Jody um so when people cross I find that just really interesting like like what is the desired outcome of speaking publicly about crossing and joining another party is that a political move that the new party that you're joining is requiring of you or is this just your personal your, your personality um, well, it's,
0: it's definitely both. Okay. Um, like the, so the party that you're joining, right? Right. They'll, they'll be looking for you to send a message to say, well, this is why we're the best party. Look, we even got one of the other people from the other team to come join us. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also the reality that let's say in the case of Miss Atwin, if you're, if you're elected a green, guess what? Your voters are now pissed. Right. They're expecting a green. So you now have to through that. Release, explain your position to your to your voters. Yeah, fair, fair. And yeah. and possibly they'll they'll agree with you, but possibly they won't.
1: That's why I've always understood why white people would go independent, because then at least you can you can claim allegiance primarily to your constituency, rather than kind of skipping to another party. Because then, like, do you think you're going to win another term, given? Given that approach,
0: no, I, I so I, I I'm I'm conflicted about what you just said because oh, yeah, it's definitely smarter to join another party as opposed to going independent. However, Jody Wilson-Raybould, in particular, she is the only person so far who's broken that ceiling. Hmm. In that she decided to go independent. And she was actually reelected yeah. as an independent. It is unheard of for that to happen. Hmm. So until that happens more often, I, I unfortunately have to disagree with you. <laughs> I, <laughs> you I hear I mean? you.
1: I hear you. But but I, I wonder like what are the stats for people who cross? Right? Like do they also do they, do they get reelected or does the party?
0: So th- this is this is so I don't I don't know the stats off the top of my head. But here's uh-huh. why it's much more logical, right? Remember, there are associations in every writing. Right. So if you decide to jump to – like, it's usually between liberal and conservative because those are typically the two strongest parties within a writing, right? Right. Typically, not always. So let's say you're a conservative and you want to jump to the liberals. Well, yeah, you got to leave your entire writing association behind – your liberal or your conservative writing association behind – But then you can jump to the Liberal Riding Association, and they'll support you, and all their members will support you. Mm. Where there's tension, and there is tension, (laughs) is when there is already another candidate on that other team that people actually like. Then it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, you're going to bring in that conservative who's always been against us. When we have our own person, and just for the sake of, I don't know, wanting another seat, you're going to bring that person in? He, He wasn't with us shooting in the gym. Ah, oh. so I it's never it's,
1: actually considered that. Yeah. yeah, so
0: it's entirely possible for it to happen. It's just that there's tension. Mm-hmm. There's there's because we're dealing with people here. Yeah.
1: Right. That takes the green the Green Party of Canada's total seats in Canada to what?
0: Two. Oh. So now there is I forget his name. He's from BC, and then Liz May as well. Yeah. They uh, the Green Party has lost their beachhead in. Atlantic Canada, which is um, which is a big deal. Atlantic Canada is it's kind of another planet. I mean, every planet (laughs) and it's in a good way in the sense that even like across the political spectrum, conservatives are pretty decent over there. I mean, they're probably racist, but like, (laughs) what I'm trying to say
1: is (laughs) (laughs) tell that to Africville and all the black people living in Nova Scotia. But okay,
0: what right? What I'm trying to say in terms of the difference between um economic political divides it's not that big
1: oh fair fair fair
0: that's what i mean uh there's there's not a lot of dissension between the different parties in, in atlantic canada they have a very very folksy atmosphere there Jumping to our next political story scarborough is getting its bridal town community hub Scarborough's getting some major new uh, infrastructure that's been a long time coming, long time in the making. And it makes me a really happy camper, actually, patients. <laughs> 13 years after the idea for the Bridletown Community Hub was first brought up, construction on the health campus is going to finally start. So, how did it all go down? On Thursday, June 10th, officials from all levels of government announced that the $67 million hub will proceed. On the running track, where Timothy Eaton Technical High School used to be, near Warden and Finch. But it was the federal government's infusion from Infrastructure Canada of $26.8 million that solidified the project. The hub will be an 82,440 square foot building that'll house the YMCA, which will build a fitness center and pool, and the Scarborough Health Network, which will house its entire dialysis system there. I think it'll be the largest in North America, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah. A Hong Food Nurse Practitioner Medical Clinic and United Way agencies will also have space within the campus. Uh, In addition to the federal funding, Ontario is chipping in $22.3 million, while the YMCA of Greater Toronto is putting up $14.8 million, and the United Way of Greater Toronto is providing $3 million. Toronto, that's the city of Toronto, is covering $9.8 million for investments as well including $5.94 million toward the purchase of land and $3.9 million for the new child care center. In terms of political reaction, Mayor John Tory says, quote, it's about time we got things happening like this in Scarborough. Finally, it seems the people of Scarborough are getting their fair share. And thanks are due as well. Two aging court residents, Lai Chu and Pat Sherman, came up with the hub idea back in 2008. So, a long time ago, man, back when I just first started being interested in politics. Those two individuals started telling local politicians there wasn't enough community space in the area. And they were both involved with Scarborough Health Network, and they knew the dialysis program needed even more space. So, I met um, Lai Chu through my work in Scarborough back in 2018, my political work and policy work. Um, and she's a wonderful person. So, you know, Shout out to Lie. Uh, there's also the late liberal MP for Scarborough Asian Court, Arnold Chan. He's the one who sought federal funds for the project, but died from cancer in 2017, unfortunately. Oh. Um, he was praised during Thursday's announcement, which would have been his 54th birthday. Oh. Then there's his wonderful wife, MP Jean Yip, who I'm proud to call a friend Um, She ran and won the riding after Arnold passed and continued to advocate for the funding uh, in this federal parliament. At the project announcement, she alluded to how well-served the diverse community will be by this project. Uh, There's also Scarborough Agent Court Progressive Conservative MPP Aris Babikian, who told the Star that he was proud he could deliver the project to his constituents after so many delays by previous governments, and that's very true. Aris was quoted as saying they've been ignored for a long time. Speaking of the residents of Scarborough, he's blood clot right. It's one of the reasons why I started my political work in Scarborough because there would be numerous investments being announced and projects happening left, right, and center, but nothing for Scarborough. So it does seem like this is a period where developments are finally happening. And if you even think back to the fact that we're getting the Scarborough subway, we're getting the crosstown Eglinton Things are finally moving in the right direction.
1: And like Scarborough is changing, like as the greater golden horseshoe and the GTA are, it's getting harder to stay in Scarborough. So for people who do, uh, stay. Uh, it's great that they have some some assets, some community infrastructure that they can leverage. That's right. Uh, so many people, you and I included, have had to move out of the city right. <laughs> just to enjoy, um, you know, affordable homes and and stuff of that nature. But for people who are still living in the city, it's. Far, far, far overdue for Scarborough to get some some real community investment and some shiny new things, yep, you know?
0: Yep, yep, yep. And, um, you know, I, I personally will be continuing my work on the Policy and Advocacy Committee for the Scarborough Business Association to continue developing Scarborough. Awesome. Um, just for the record, construction is scheduled to begin in January 2023, and the campus will be complete, well, it should be, let's hope, by January 2025. Hey, everybody, you just listened to part one of episode 62, containing our politics segment. To respect your time and optimize for your listening pleasure, we've split the episode in two. But don't you worry, part two containing our blackity black black and world segments is coming right up. As always, thanks for listening.